Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is focused on one of the 12 steps of AA. John Glenn taught the 12 steps to the church because Alpha Ministries contends that all people need recovery from something. And the 12 steps is the best program out there and most closely reflects the idea of discipleship and relationship Jesus had in mind. Enjoy and glean from the message. And remember, one day at a time. Kind of a package. And that's how the big book presents them, which is totally acceptable. There's not a thing wrong with that. And I just want to use that to illustrate to you when you're considering these steps, Think of especially these four steps that we're looking at as being a description of your relationship to yourself. Remember we talked about in the first three steps, they were basically a description of your relationship to God, to your higher power. Well, now we're looking in these four steps, four, five, six, and seven, we're looking at a description of your relationship to yourselves. And... When you start considering yourself in depth, doing that introspection, it's called, the, what I shared with you in the fourth step as the trip in, when you start looking inside of yourself and you start looking at your motives, you start looking at your uh, emotions, you start looking at your beliefs and your false assumptions, etc. when you start doing a detailed study of yourself, then you're going to have to have a little help to go along with that. And that's why the fifth step's there. That's why the sixth step's there. And that's why the seventh step's there. And it's all one package. Now, while we're on it, I might as well go ahead and tell you that not only are steps four, five, six, and seven a package deal with regards to you, yourself, as you look at yourself, as you honestly examine your life for the sake of recovery, but they fit together with a broader package of steps 1 through 3 and 8 through 12. So the steps is really, all the steps, all 12, of the, uh, the 12 steps to recovery, they're all one big package. And our goal in studying them is for you to become so familiar with those 12 steps, for you to have experience practicing the concepts and the principles of these 12 steps that you're actually doing the 12 steps every day, daily, in your life. You're actually living them out. Now again, you may not, as we've said before, you may not stop at the end of the day and say, well, I did this step then at this time and step three here, and then I did step four in the afternoon and step eight uh, later on. You may not be able to see specifically in detail a description of how those steps were worked out in your life but the point is this it became a lifestyle it became a way of living these concepts and these principles we're studying in the 12 steps are biblical principles that constitute a way of life and a healthy way of life and not only a healthy and functional way of life but as a result of that an enjoyable way to live as a matter of fact, living these 12 steps and the concepts of these 12 steps we're studying is probably the most exciting, satisfying life that any human being can ever experience in reality. When all of these 12 steps are being lived every day, that's life. 
Anything less than these 12 steps being lived every day, that's death, as far as I'm concerned. So even though four, five, six, and seven can be lumped together as kind of a package deal, just like we lumped together steps one, two, and three as a package deal, I don't want you to think that they're independent of all 12. They're not. They all, all go together into one big package deal called a healthy, functional lifestyle. And that healthy, functional lifestyle is not just for people struggling with drug addiction or alcoholism. It's not just for the, quote, addict per se. It is for all humanity. And that's another reason why you find these 12 steps uh, popping out everywhere in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, just before we started this session here this evening, um, Kelly was sharing with me a Bible that she picked up at an auction that is called a recovery Bible. And it actually has uh, the steps identified in various portions of the Scripture itself. It says, look, look at this passage. This illustrates this step, and this passage illustrates this step, and this passage illustrates this step. Why is that so? Because the steps that we're studying were based on the concepts of the Scripture to start with. And so it's not surprising at all, now looking at it from the other direction, to look at the Scriptures and see all kinds of, of concepts and principles addressed in the 12 steps. Uh, it, as a matter of fact, when, you, when you're able to do that, you begin to really catch the idea that the 12 steps of recovery as laid out by AA, those, those 12 concepts or principles that we're studying known as steps are actual biblical concepts that were laid out by God himself in the word of God as he inspired the written word. So we're going to do a little exercise along that line tonight as we consider this sixth step. We're going to focus our attention now on what they said. Here was the principle of the sixth step that we were ready, entirely ready and willing to, turn, to actually have God, bless you, turn, have God remove all the junk we saw in the previous steps. Now, let's put it in context. Remember in step four, you're making a searching uh, and fearless moral inventory. So you're actually writing down situations in which you have struggled in the past. You're writing down situations, and as I shared with you, as we studied step four, you're doing what I call the trip in. And remember, the trip in is just taking the situation and looking at your own behavior, your own feelings, and your own beliefs in that situation. Now, normally, we don't do that. Normally, when we think of a situation that's happened to us, good, bad, or ugly, we don't look at our own behavior, our own emotions, or our own beliefs. What we're doing is we do an inventory on other people. How many of you have ever done an inventory on other people? A searching moral inventory on your spouse, okay? A searching moral inventory on your coworker, okay? You, and remember what I shared with you before. It's easier sometimes to see their faults than it is ours, isn't it? It's a, it's a lot easier on us emotionally to look at the fault of somebody else than it is our own. So, but we've done this searching moral inventory, and we came up with a list, Whatever form or shape that list came in of situations that 
we now had to get honest with in the fifth step with God, with ourselves, and as I shared with you last time, with another human being. And remember I used the biblical example of the Apostle Paul using the Spirit to write Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, he gives us his testimony, and he actually does a fifth step. It's a little general, it's not specific, in, in as much as he says, when I want to do what's right, I can't do it. When I want to do what's wrong, or when I want to quit doing what's wrong, I do it anyhow. You see, that's the sum and substance of that character defect that he's got. The sum and substance of his issue that he's actually confessing not only to himself and God, but to all of us as we read it right here. Well, I'm going to do a similar thing with you tonight on the sixth step. But before we get there, I want you to to consider something about the, f the sixth step that is probably the most important aspect of the step itself. And that is simply this. The little word entirely. We're entirely ready to have God remove our character defects. Now it would seem to me, logically, that if you found things in that moral inventory, in your flesh, Remember, that's the natural conditioning, self-centered conditioning you have. That's not who you are. Because of the gospel, God has made you a brand new person, but you still live in this physical body, so you still have the flesh. That is all the old conditioning, all the old character defects of the old person you were before you became this new person. If you begin to identify those character defects, wouldn't it seem logical that you would naturally want God to get rid of them? See, these character defects, these things that are wrong about our behavior or our thinking or our emotions, these things that we see as sins in our flesh and of the flesh, these are the kinds of things we've been trying to cover up our whole life. These are the things we've been trying to deal with and at least hide so we're not embarrassed or we're not um, condemned or we're not rejected by other people. And these are things we've been struggling with our whole life. And so it seemed logical that we would want to get rid of these things as quickly as possible. But the way they wrote this step, they hinted at something that's very, very, says we're not just ready to have God remove these character defects or these defects of character, the way they write it. But we're entirely ready. And that little word entirely emphasizes an attitude that I want us to address first before I go to the biblical example of it. And that attitude is this. We will let God do anything necessary to get rid of that defect. That means we've got to, we've got to have come down to a point where we want more than anything else in our life to have that character defect, whatever it is, removed to have God do it now one of the reasons that we're not entirely ready to have God remove the character defect is because we're not entirely sure that God will do it painlessly we have this idea in the back of our mind that if God removes a defect of character in my flesh that somehow that's going to cost me something. Somehow that's going to hurt or somehow that's not going to be good for me 
and I'm not going to like it. Think of it this way physically. When you're a kid and you're out playing around and you get a splinter in your finger. And that thing hurts. You know how those little splinters in the fingers, they'll hurt because you got those little nerve endings there. And I mean, it's painful. You can't even pick up a fork and eat without it hurting you. You can't get dressed. Put on your shoes without it hurting you. But you're not entirely ready to have that splinter removed yet because you understand the process in removing that splinter may create more pain, right? You see, I think a lot of us have the same kind of attitude towards our defects of character, towards things that we've identified as a problem in ourselves, a problem with our thinking or our beliefs, a problem with our feelings or emotions, a problem with our behavior. But we're not entirely ready to have God remove it because we're not sure what process he's going to use to do that. We're not sure if that won't cause us more pain. Add to that the fact that we've lived with these character defects this long. We've gotten used to them. We know who to hide them from and when. We've become comfortable with our character defects. As a matter of fact, some character defects you can use to your benefit. So you can actually hang on to a character defect. I'll illustrate this in a moment. You can hang on to it to accomplish something else you want in your life. Yeah, you can. And so for a lot of reasons, this is my only point, for a lot of reasons, we're not entirely ready and willing to have God remove it. Let me get to the, the central case in point here, the one character defect that plagues everybody across the board. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background has been. I don't care what experiences you've had. Everybody has this character defect known in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, as a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. That's the way the King James describes it. To give you the psychological definition of a root of bitterness, all it is is just hatred, resentment, and hatred, bitterness, that has been bottled up and festers on your soul. Much like that splinter you got in your finger. Now, when you get a splinter in your finger, it festers up, doesn't it? Those little white blood cells go to work and they create that pus and kind of encapsulate that foreign body. But it makes it sore. Okay, and it might swell up and get red and painful and sore. And even though it aggravates you, you're not entirely ready to have it removed because you know intuitively that means somebody's going to have to dig around in there. And that's going to cause more pain. Or you might even have to have it cut open to get it out. And then once they get it out, then they're going to have to clean it. Brush. <laughs> You all beginning to get the reason, getting, getting the idea here of why you're not entirely ready to have it removed, okay? Hatred's the same way. Anytime you are hurt or disappointed, much less abused, by someone else, I don't care who it is, anytime someone lets you down, 
naturally in the flesh, your flesh reacts with hatred. It responds with hatred. Now, we all know that we're not supposed to hate. We all know that that's a no-no. And so we generally put a lid on it and try to cover it up. Even though it's not dealt with appropriately, we stuff it down inside, let it go. Oh, that doesn't bother me. Ah, I got over that. That's no problem. But deep down inside, in that subconscious mind, or what the Bible calls the heart, we have it festering like that splinter. And we don't want to poke around on it. Now, when you've got a splinter in your finger, and even though it hurts, and especially when you try to put your boots on or you try to do something with your hand and you bump it or whatever, it really aggravates you and hurts you, you can go on and live with the splinter. It's not a fatal situation. You can go ahead and live even though you've got a splinter in your hand and it's painful. So you can go ahead with your life. You can get up in the morning, you can get dressed, you can go to work, you can get on with your life, even though you've got this little pain from this splinter. After a while, you learn to adapt to that. After a while, you learn to adapt to that chronic pain coming from the splinter. So the longer you go with it, and the more you adapt to it, the less you likely you are to want to remove it. As a matter of fact, I don't know about you all, but I get into this fantasy that one day I'm just going to wake up and it's going to be gone. I will be painlessly removed in the middle of my sleep, and I'll just wake up and have a splinter one day, and the next day, oh, look at this, it's healed, it's gone. Isn't that wonderful? Now, if I broke religious, like a lot of people do, about their splinters or their character defects, I could pray and ask God, just, just remove it while I'm not looking. Okay. But in reality, it's going to take a little pain to get rid of the splinter, isn't it? In reality, I'm going to have to undergo, I'm going to have to make a choice. I'm going to have to make a decision to face that pain of getting that splinter out and to face the pain of cleaning out the wound and to face the pain of dealing with that festering wound or splinter in my finger then I'm going to become entirely willing to have God remove it. With hatred, Jesus addressed the same kind of issue because this is a, a splinter, a character defect, a wrong that only God can remove and we need, all of us need to be removed. I'm using this as an example because we've all been offended, we've all been hurt, we've all been abused, we've all been let down in some fashion to some degree. Naturally, we all have this pocket of hatred in our soul. Jesus talking about that with his disciples in Matthew 18. And I'll refer you here to the Alpha series under the third chapter in the emotions of the Alpha series. You can get a, a fuller discussion of this. But you remember in Matthew 18, he warns his disciples about this. He said, now look, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And he begins this discussion by giving us a warning that the guy who does the offending is really hurting bad. He's saying, in essence, in that discussion, the one you ought to feel sorry for is not the one he hurts, 
not the victim here, but the one who is doing the hurting, the one who is actually hurting the victim. That's the one you need to feel sorry for. But remember in that context, he says it's actually better for that one who's doing the hurting, who's running around offending people. It would really be better for him to die quickly. That a millstone were tied around his neck and he was cast into the sea. Now think of that. And you know what a millstone is. A huge, big old rock they used to grind the flour. Weighs tons. Tie a rope around it and tie the other end of the rope around your neck. Throw it in the intercoastal. What's going to happen? You ain't going to tread water with a millstone. If it doesn't break your neck on the way down, it'll drown you quickly. In either case, you're going to drown very quickly. You're going to be out of your pain. You're going to be drowned quickly. That's what Jesus was saying. Actually, it'd be better for the man who's running around hurting other people if he would just drown quickly than to go on living the way he is. Why? Because that festering hatred in his soul is killing him. He is dying a slow death. Now, with that as a backdrop, he tells us how to be entirely ready to have God remove our character defects. But he uses very graphic language that tells us why we're not entirely ready. He says, if your hand offends you, you cut it off. Now, think about that for a minute. What would be involved in you cutting off your own hand? I mean, can you imagine that? I had a friend of mine one time that got barbed by a catfish. You know, and barb got stuck in it. I mean, it was real painful. And he was trying to get it out. And he got himself a pair of pliers. And he got a hold of the barb. And he tried to pull it away, to pull it out. But as soon as he tried to pull, his hand went with it. <laughs> okay, so he was going like this. Why? He just couldn't do it. He knew it was going to hurt. You know, it was going to hurt so bad. So he had to have somebody else pull it out while he held his hand. Can you imagine cutting off your own hand? If your foot offends you, he said, cut it off. If your eye offends you, poke it out. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about getting rid of your character defect. Now you begin to see why we're not entirely ready to have God remove it. We're afraid of that process. Well, that's going to hurt, man. I don't want to do that. It's like the fear you have when you go to a dentist or a doctor. You, you know you got to. You know it, it has to. You've you got to go through this for the long-term benefit. But, man, there's going to be some pain involved, some discomfort, at the very least some, some embarrassment. I don't want to have to do this. I'm not entirely ready. Well, when are you entirely ready? You're entirely ready when that character defect, whatever it is, in this case we're talking about hatred festering in, in our soul, when that character defect reaches such a point that we don't have another choice. It's just going to, we've got to do something about it or die. Or you can become entirely ready to have God remove it if you understand the way God does surgery. If you understand a little more about how he removes your character defects, then you become a little more ready to have them removed. In the case of hatred, 
Jesus warned, he says, it's better for you to cut off your hand and be uh, handicapped, literally, than to be cast into the trash dump, to be feeling worthless and useless the rest of your life. It's better to endure that pain, but that self-inflicted pain of cutting off your own hand, poking out your own eye, cutting off your own foot that he was talking about, that self-inflicted pain is the difficult process that makes us not entirely ready. So let's talk about that. How does that happen? What we're talking about is God's solution for our character defects here. And in order to be entirely ready to have God remove our character defects, we've got to understand his method. How does he do this? I'm going to give you one word for removal of hatred that describes God's method in a nutshell. It's forgiveness. That's it. That's how he gets rid of it. Literally, the word forgiveness in the Bible means to send away. In our context here, to remove. So when you forgive, you're sending it away. When God removes, he sends it away. Now, understandably, in our, in our mentality, having been raised up under the law, with like all of us have been, we get the idea that in order for God to remove some character defect we might have, he's got to job us on the way, okay? He's got to hurt us somehow. He's got to make us pay for something or he's got to, in some way, punish us for having it there in the first place. And you've often thought this, I know, or heard this about God and the way he deals with us in character defects. It's, well, you're, he's going to let you suffer for a while to pay for what you did. Okay, that's that legal mentality. But that's not at all how God works. That's a legal mentality that is antithetical to God. That's not at all how he works. The way he works is to forgive it. And the really good news is this. He's already done it. He has already forgiven your hatred. It's done. It's a done deal. You see, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, when everything was over, what did he say? It's finished. See, God paid the price for your hatred on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's done. There's no need for him to punish you, to inflict pain upon you. Why? Because his son took it on himself. He paid the price already. So God is now free to remain fair and just to forgive, to send it away. You remember when we were talking about the fourth step, we talked about walking in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from all sin. What that means is that God's already done it. He's already paid the price. In essence, God has already forgiven it. Well, why don't we know that? Why, is it, why isn't it real to us then? Why do we struggle with this so much? Why do we fidget about being entirely ready to have God remove it when he's already removed it? The plain and simple fact is he's done it, but we don't believe it. 
He's already removed it, but that's not the way we think. Because we're still caught up and bound up in this delusion that says we're going to have to suffer for this and we're going to have to do something about it. To become entirely ready to have God remove our character defect, defects, all of them, is an attitude best described, a way of thinking that's best described in my mind at least, as having God deal with your sin problem. See, for years as a pastor, I've encountered numerous people, not just drug addicts and alcoholics, but people that are worried about their sin problem. They got a problem with sin, otherwise known as a character defect in religious terms. They've got a problem with sin, and they're worried about that because they know they ought to quit sinning, but they're not sure they want to or they can. They know that they... You know, that sin ultimately is going to catch up to them and ultimately it's going to take them down and they want to quick get rid of it and cover it until they do. And they get all obsessed with this, quote, sin problem. Well, why are they obsessed with this sin problem? Because they don't know that God's already dealt with it. You see, God already dealt with your sin problem on the cross 2,000 years ago. He took care of it. John announcing the coming of Jesus... At his baptism, remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, takes away all the character defects. Who does that? The Lamb of God. Who is that? Jesus. He's already done it. It's a done deal. As far as God is concerned, your character defects have been removed. Now, this ties into the good news we were talking about back in the fourth step. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay the price and endure the pain for your character defects. Something else happened, remember? The other side of the cross happened. When he died on the cross, that sinful person you were, the flesh, we identify today as the flesh, that sinful person you were was crucified with him and buried with him. And a brand new person that never has sinned is not sinning now and never will. A brand new person that never has any character defects, never has had any, never will. That brand new person, that's, that brand new person was raised up. God did it already. So to become entirely ready to have God remove our character defects is really just becoming entirely ready to honestly believe what God has already done it doesn't involve any more pain even though to us it seems like it because getting back to the analogy of cutting off your hand poking out your eye and so on what was Jesus talking about he's talking about that certain fearful pain that we have that emotional pain of rehearsing old hurts you see when you go back and you look at the way that you've been hurt in the past and treated in the past and you identify your response to that in hatred that's a painful process in the sense that we're recollecting what has happened to us in the past because all those memories about previous hurts have emotions associated with them and when you start poking around on those memories those feelings come up well that's not God hurting you to remove it what it is, is the pain you've been dealing with all your life. You've just layered over. So there's no new pain here. This is all old pain. 
And when you look at that, when you'll take the time to honestly look at those character defects in step four, to get honest with God and yourself and another person about it in step five, you become entirely ready to have God remove it. You can trust in this, that all the pain is already being endured by you. The only thing left then is the relief. And what's the relief? Where does that come from? Through forgiveness. Now there is one important key to this that I, I want to emphasize and want you to remember. And that is, in order to give forgiveness to other people, i.e. those people that have hurt you, in order to truly forgive them, you have to receive it for yourself first. And this sometimes throws us because we've justified in our minds for years. We've justified why it is we're hating so-and-so. We've justified why it is we hate this, that, or the other and rationalize it because of how terrible that we were treated by them. Okay, so we all have our little justifications and rationalizations neatly in place as to why we're feeling that hatred towards them. But here's the point. Hatred is just as much a sin as the abuse that we suffered. It's just as much just as wrong to hate those people that disappoint you, that hurt you, as it is for them to hurt you or disappoint you in the first place. So think of the model of Jesus as he began to do that work on the cross. Remember he said he prayed a prayer. Actually, technically, he prayed that prayer so that the men could actually crucify him. Because you see, God had had charged the angels with the physical protection of Jesus. They were his bodyguards. He had legions of angels that, that were his bodyguards. And God had said, in no uncertain terms, that no one can touch Jesus. Had Jesus not prayed for forgiveness for the men who were about to drive the nails through his hand, the first attempt on their part would have brought the wrath of God against them to the point the flesh would have melted off their bones. Instantly they had been crucified or killed, consumed. So Jesus actually had to pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, so that they could, in their ignorance, crucify him to fulfill God's plan. Well, he wasn't just being religious when he prayed that prayer. He was giving us a model that's essential. Here's the model. You receive forgiveness for your hatred. Then you can give it to others. As God forgives your hatred, he sends away that character defect. Then you have the forgiveness to actually extend to others. Being entirely ready to have God remove our character defects is just being entirely ready to receive the forgiveness of God. That's all. There's nothing painful or hideous about it or threatening about it. It's being entirely ready to have God forgive you. Now, I want to close this session tonight with a biblical um, application here. I want to read to you a psalm written by King David. And most of you, I'm sure, are probably familiar with this psalm already. This Psalm 51, it's called the Psalm of Repentance give you the context 
King David had some character defects that actually manifested themselves in his life. If you go back in the, in the historical record, you'll find that while he was a king, he had been a king in Israel now for some 20 years. While his men were off fighting the war, David kind of got bored. He was walking around the house one day, looked out his window, and lo and behold, down below, there was this woman named Bathsheba who was getting ready to take a bath. And she stripped down and got in the bathtub. And old David thought she looked pretty good. So he called for Bathsheba and she came. I mean, he was the king. She came. And to make a long story short, David had sex with Bathsheba. They had this little affair going on. And then she got pregnant. That happens. Her husband's out fighting the war, and she shows up pregnant. So David says, this is not going to be good. So he calls her husband back real quick and says, uh, you've been fighting good. That's good. You know, I want to reward you here. Go spend a little time with your wife. He was trying to cover his tracks here, right? Uriah, her husband, says, no, I can't do it. He said, what do you mean you can't do it? He says, no, my men are out there fighting and dying. I can't rest. Indirectly, it was a rebuke of David, who was king, who should have been out there in the first place. But he wouldn't go in with his wife. So David was forced to cover his tracks here. He was forced to actually send a letter with Uriah back to Joab, his captain, and set Uriah up to be murdered. He told Joab, put him in the heat of the battle, and when it's really going on, withdraw from him, leave him there. The enemy will kill him. The Philistines will kill him. End of my problem. I won't have any problem. It'll all be covered up. And sure enough, that's what happened. Now later, the prophet Nathan came to David, and through a, a story, he proved David was sinful and how he had, had all these character defects the lying, the murder, the adultery, all that stuff came to the surface. And David finally repented of that. He finally did a fourth and a fifth step. And he became entirely ready to have God remove his character defects. There's a lot of interesting study along that story. But this is the result of it. After that, he wrote this psalm. And I want you to just listen to what he says in this psalm and see if you can't see a step six and a seven in this, this psalm. And as I said before, you're going to see all four of these steps because it's a package deal. But listen to how he became entirely ready to have God remove his character defects. Verse one, he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You see, what he was counting on was the loving kindness of God. What he was counting on was his tender mercies. Loving kindness and tender mercies means, from David's experience, there's no pain. He's going to remove my character defect, blot out my transgression. He's going to remove my character defect painlessly. There isn't any pain here. Was David in pain up to that point? Oh, you bet. Especially when their first son that Bathsheba and David had, the, the boy she was pregnant with, was born. He died. And David went into grief, agonizing over the guilt, knowing that it was his fault. 
Was he in pain? Oh, yeah, he was in pain. Did that pain come from God dealing with his character defect? No. The, came, the pain actually came from the fact that David wouldn't allow God to deal with his character defect. So it doesn't hurt to have God deal with your character defect. It hurts if he doesn't deal with your character defect. So he was in pain to start with. And he goes on all the way through this. And we're, just, we're not going to go through the whole psalm here tonight with you, but I want you to see what he's asking for here. In verse 2 he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What's he talking about? Remarked defects. Get rid of them. See, David was entirely ready, realizing, number one, that only God can deal with your sin problem, and number two, he already has dealt with the sin problem and his provision. You see, the application to us tonight is that we don't have to agonize over being ready to have God deal with our sin problem because he's already in the process of doing that. He's been in the process of doing it since Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So we're just getting on board with what he's already doing. What is he already doing? Forgiving us, cleansing us, getting rid of our sin problem getting rid of our character defects. So this step, step six, being entirely ready, is just a matter of faith, like all the other steps, a matter of faith in receiving the forgiveness of God. Now, one other thing I want to mention to you, and we'll probably come back to this in our next session, the same psalm, because there's a, a lot to do with the seventh step here. But one other thing I want to mention about being entirely ready. When we get honest about it, there are certain things, certain benefits that we derive from hanging on to certain character defects. I used hatred as a generic general example because it plagues everyone, that root of bitterness. And so let's go on with it. What do we get out of hatred? What can we receive out of hatred and hanging on to it? You can become actually embolden you can actually get courage from your hatred did you know that yeah you can you can keep on going just out of sheer hatred because you're mad you see there is a emotional rush to being justified in your hatred that's why we're reluctant to let it go and it also justifies other things that we may be responsible to do if we weren't hating. It would justify and rationalize other things for us. So what I'm saying is that there's an emotional payoff when we hang on to certain character defects. Those, that emotional payoff is what we're reluctant to let go of to become entirely ready to have God remove that character defect. For if he actually removes that character defect through forgiveness, then immediately we become responsible to actually love others. And so these steps that we're talking about now, five, six, seven, and eight, they're steps that prepare us personally by allowing God to remove these character defects from us, they prepare us to go on in steps 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 in our relationship with others. And so there's a certain responsibility associated with that 
Right now I can't relate to others because I'm so wounded and hurt. The only person I can think about is me and we're reluctant to let go of that. Where it normally appears and something that needs to be processed is in the victim mentality. The victim mentality. I am a victim of someone else's injustice. Therefore, I have a right to hate. Therefore, I have a right to become irresponsible in my behavior. I have a right not to have to love anybody. Because after all, I've been wounded and I've been hurt. See, that victim mentality we're reluctant to let go of because we live our lives based on that. And a victim mentality can actually fuel our lives. We can learn to live as a victim, manipulate other people as a victim, gain the attention from other people as a victim. I've seen this frequently, repeatedly, in the last 35 years of counseling with folks who have been hurt folks who have been abused and who develop a victim mentality. They don't want to get better. They get attention when they go to counseling. They don't have to be responsible to do anything else because they're so wounded. Everybody would let them slide because they're such a basket case and they're so wounded and it's not there. They can blame others. See, they don't want to get better because that means letting go of that victim mentality. Letting go of the idea that I'm just this poor, helpless victim. And they don't want to let go of that because they've identified themselves with that. So they're not entirely ready to have God remove the character defects, especially the hatred. They want to hang on to that false identity as a victim. You see, according to the scripture, however, you're not a victim. As a matter of fact, he tells us point blank. No matter what kind of suffering you've been through, no matter what kind of abuse you've been through, you as a brand new person in Christ are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. You're not a victim, you're a victor. And with that identity of being a victor comes responsibility. And we're reluctant to take that responsibility on, so we want to hang on to our woundedness as a victim. So becoming entirely ready means we let go of all the reasons that we would want to hang on to any of our character defects, we let go of them and allow God to remove them through his forgiveness. Will it radically change our lives? Oh, yeah. And the most glaring benefit that comes to the surface is you'll recover. You'll get better. You'll live a healthy life, a functional life. Now, that's a little scary for those of us who are born dysfunctional and we stay in, in our dysfunction most of our lives. It's a little scary to, to have to be functional and healthy now. That means I've got to be responsible. But keep in mind, the whole goal of the 12 steps is the most satisfying, healthy, functional life you'll ever be able to live. Six step, important, pivotal step in you achieving that health. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. 
All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 